You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Welcome to Pros Like Us. Joining us at the top of the show is going to be the new fullback for the Kansas City Chiefs, Michael Burton. Welcome to the show, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Great. Uh, well, we're going to go through your football journey a little bit here. Uh, take you back to high school days right off the bat. You play fullback now. What positions did you play in high school? So I was in high school. I played running back, linebacker, kicker, and punter, actually, uh, for my high school team. So did a little bit of everything back then. Were you pretty good as a kicker and a punter? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't too bad. You know, um, we did this rugby punt style. So I always had the option to run or punt it. And I often would choose to try to run to get the first down. But every now and then, you know, you'd have to punt it. But uh, And I wore the old, uh, the old steel toe. So I was a straight-on kicker. Whoa. Um, so as long as I connected well with that with that steel toe, it uh, ended up being a pretty good kick. But if you miss, if you're off by a little bit with that thing, the ball's going to spray on you. But, yeah, that was, that was back in the day when they had the, uh, the steel toe uh, straight-on kicking shoe. So I would assume you, you didn't have a soccer background at all if you were kicking with the toe, right? Yeah, I didn't. Um, you know, my dad was a kicker. When he was in college, he played at Susquehanna, and he just kicks. He was a steel toe straight on. So I guess growing up, I did a little bit of that when I was in you know middle school, did some kicking and stuff like that. Didn't have the shoe back then, just had a regular cleat. And I kind of just kept that form. And then when I got to high school, they actually were like, well, it's probably easier for you to if you have a steel toe because a typical cleat is very narrow. It's really hard to be accurate with that so i guess i maybe learned it from my dad and just kind of stuck with it but uh, i'm sure now i would definitely uh do more soccer style for sure if, it, if i had a kick now well harrison bucker you know hey you throw him some ideas you know get a little bit more yeah, distance yeah. with that steel toe. yeah absolutely you so, went to rutgers i don't know if we mentioned that yet but yeah, you went, went to, to rutgers, rutgers but which school recruit what other schools recruited you yeah, so basically at the end of my senior year, that's when I kind of uh, my recruiting started to pick up a little bit. I, I want to say I had between five and six offers, all one uh, Division One AA schools: Monmouth, New Hampshire, Maine, and I want to say um, Towson as well. I believe partial uh, academic scholarships to Lehigh and Lafayette, and I think that was. Um, that was pretty much it in terms of like offers. And then my only division one um, kind of interest was, was Rutgers as a preferred walk-on. All right. And what, what position were they look, looking at you for? So when I was going to Rutgers, it was more of like a hybrid kind of running back, fullback type, maybe utility player, special teams, that kind of stuff. Ended up kind of right when I got to campus, I was pretty much switched right to fullback, which was really a blessing for me because my five years there, it was a pro-style offense every single year. And I really think that's a huge reason why I was able to really turn into a fullback just because that's what I was asked to do kind of from day one, you know, was, was two-back run game, two-back two back pass game and, and, and protection and all that kind of stuff. 
you know, I, I was really lucky to have been in offenses each five years that heavily used the fullback. So it seems it almost sounds like the position chose you then, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I got there and uh, they were looking for some fullbacks and. Obviously, I had a little bit of that in my background, you know, being a running back and stuff like that. You know, kind of Coach Chiano made that decision to just move me to full-time fullback. And uh, really thankful he did that just because, like I said, it was a position on offense that we were going to use a lot. And, um, you know, I was just – I had an opportunity, and that's all you can ask for. you got to take advantage of it. So was really excited um, when Coach moved me to that position. How tough was it to play for Greg Schiano? They always say that he's a tough, hard-nosed coach. How, how difficult was it? You know, it really wasn't difficult. I like that. You know, I think that's what football is about. I think it's about being tough mentally, physically. I think it's about being detailed. It's about being accountable, holding your teammates accountable, holding yourself accountable. He just really enforced that on us. And I think he treated, he treated you as a pro. And I think if you ask any Rutgers alum who made it to the NFL or are just in the work field right now and on their everyday life, I think they've learned um, just really great characteristics um, on how to be a great person, how to be a tough person from Coach Chiano. And it's going to carry on way, way off the field. And, uh, you know, I, I really liked his coaching style a lot. I thought it was great. And I think it's kind of helped mold me into the player that I am today. Mike, did you were you a walk-on then at Rutgers? Yes, I was. I was a uh, preferred walk-on. Okay, which, again, is going to be a, a whole different deal than if, I guess, you were given a scholarship. So kind of like what was your mindset, you know, getting there, you know, day one? You know, how am I going to uh, make the team? How am I going to keep the position? And then eventually you become a captain and you get drafted. I mean, how did all that come about? Like I said before a little bit, Coach put me in a great position to be successful. That's something he did with a lot of guys. You know, he kind of found guys' strengths and what they could be good at and allowed them to take advantage of it. So that was first and foremost, you know, Coach put me in a position to play fullback to be successful. From there on, it was it was just working as hard as you could every single day, you know, trying to get better every single day, trying to be coachable, trying to be the best player, teammate you can be, and, and really just embracing the process, you know, not so much worried about the end goal of, oh, I want to be the starting fullback or, you know, I want to get drafted or I want to go to the combine. You know, you just take it a day at a time. You stack good practices. You stack good weeks. You stack good games. And then eventually you stack good years. And that kind of gets you to your goal. So to really answer your question, it was just taking one day at a time and just being the best you can be, you know, avoiding all distractions. You know, that my main focus there was school and football. That was it. You know, th those were my two biggest main concerns. And, um, you know, you just got to lock in every single day and, and take advantage of any opportunities that you get. Just be ready to go when your number's called. And that's kind of the mentality that I had, you know, when I got there. And you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You know, you got to understand that you got to work two, three times harder than the scholarship guys. You can't mess up. You're on a short leash. You know, all those other things being a walk-on, you got to understand. And, and as long as you understand that and embrace that, I think um, it can lead to, to some uh, success. Mike Burton is here with us. He's a fullback at the Kansas City Chiefs now. Growing up, Mike, uh, who was your favorite player? Did you admire anybody from afar, like high school or college? You know, um, that's a great question. Obviously, growing up, I did like Mike Allstott, you know, just a big bruiser back there, you know, because I had, gr you know, grown up 
playing, you know, fullback, running back, that kind of stuff. And he was a heck of a ball player, a very tough runner. You know, he could block too when he was asked to. So definitely a guy that I followed. But other than that, not not really anybody too specific, um, just more so teams and, and that kind of thing. Now, Mike, I'm going to ask you to go to your memory banks a little bit. Rookie season, you scored a touchdown. Uh, it was a touchdown pass, I believe. It may have even been yeah. from Matt Stafford. Now, yeah. can you describe the play for us? In other words, the call, what your assignment was, and then just kind of how the play unfolded. Yeah, right. So it was um, it was off our power run game, right, a two-back power game that we have, two-back run play that we have, typically like using short yardage, goal line situation, kind of play you hang your hat on, right? And it's just tough football. You're running the ball. They know we're running the ball. Either they're going to stop us or we're going to score, right? But off that is a power pass, where it's a fake. So I come up as I'm going to kick out, block the same linebacker, the defensive end, however we schemed it up, and I'm bluffing him and then going to the flat. So it's a play fake from the quarterback in the back in the backfield, like we're running power. So we got the linebackers, everybody screaming downhill, thinking it's a run, and then it's just a little play pass to the flat. You know, Stafford um, uh, gives the fake to the running back and then just throws it up over the, you know, the Sam or uh, the um, defensive end who I bluffed right to the flat, and I was wide open. Okay, so was there a just a dance? great play call from Coach because each of the we had won, we've been successful at, and it's kind of that territory-ish that that play could show up, and to uh, have Coach call that play was just really a great play call by him, to be honest with you. Now, so was, was yeah. there a dance, or what kind of celebration do you recall? No dance. You know, it was, um, I think it was a three-yard catch touchdown and I just congratulated with my offensive linemen some receivers ran over Calvin Johnson ran over and uh I think I gave you know Stafford a high five he was a great ball and uh, you know it was just a really all-around really good play um, that's awesome you know from, that... the, from the play call to the quarterback to the running back has a blocking responsibility he's got to cut the the end man down so he can get his hands down so the uh quarterback's got a lane to throw the ball so there's a lot of different there's a lot of moving pieces where guys got to do their job in order to score. So, you know, guys do their job and, and ultimately ended up, uh, you know, scoring a touchdown. Where's that ball now? That ball, that ball's at my house, actually. Yeah, the uh, the equipment staff did a great job. I held on to that. They wrote, you know, first career touchdown, how many yards it was, who we were playing, and the final score of the game. And uh, I got that in a uh, – back home with me, actually. So, Very cool. Yeah amazing memory that you can recount that i mean it's been six or seven years i mean you went into details with that play yeah well it's a play that um is in a lot of offenses that i've been in i've run that quite a few times and i guess also if it's your only touchdown you're probably gonna be able to remember it pretty well so that's the uh the one score i got so i like to uh be able to give that in detail when i do get asked about it you know, one of your teammates in Detroit was the great Calvin Johnson. You mentioned him, that he celebrated yep. with you for that first touchdown. Mm-hmm. You were a rookie. He played his last season in the NFL that year. He actually retired yep. in the spring the following year. How impressive yep. was Megatron? Share a few stories with us. He was extremely impressive. I mean, he was. I, I will say this, the best teams that I've been on, the best players are always the best practicers, and that's what he was. I mean, he was an all-pro, pro bowl, end of his career, 
going to the Hall of Fame, right? And his last year, he was practicing like he was a rookie. I mean, every rep to him is a game rep. And I think that's what stood out to me was just so impressive. Extra catches after practice, catches before practice, the first one in the building, the last one to leave, where, you know, to be honest, he probably didn't have much to prove at that point in his career. I mean, he had an unbelievable career, but his mentality and competitiveness was just unmatched. He took every rep and every day to get better. You find those qualities in the real great ones, the ones that can do it for year after year after year. They just have those qualities. Of course, in addition to the fact that he was physically just super impressive, his, his body, you know, his height, weight, speed, right, was just amazing what he could do at that size. But, uh, but you topple that with the mentality to get better each and every day. And he's a great person, great teammate, great leader. So just a really impressive, um, you know, person all around. You had a really good year last year in New Orleans, Mike. And I guess I'm curious, what was that experience like, kind of just in general? And then can you think back to a practice or a game situation that really demonstrates how great a player Drew Brees is, was? Yeah, right. A lot of just said about Calvin, you know, you could say about Drew. Um, and, and that's why I referenced the fact that the great ones, and, and Drew's been doing it twice as long, right, almost. And uh, they just have that innate ability to just get better every single day, and every rep is a game rep to them. They don't take reps off. They don't take days off. It's 100% all in all the time. And there's just this competitiveness to him that, like I said with Calvin, it's just um, it's really unmatched. He wanted to be the best player on the field. You know, oftentimes he was just super impressive and another great leader, a guy you could lean on, a guy you could ask questions to, a guy that was willing to help you despite how long he was in the league for and you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it was great to play with him, a guy I learned a lot from. Like you said, the year itself was, was obviously very unique with COVID and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, like a lot of teams, you know, it was um, definitely a fight, you know, every day to, to make sure you were following the right protocols and make sure you were avoiding, you know, putting yourself in, you know, sticky situations so you wouldn't test positive and bring it to the building and all that kind of stuff. So very unique unique year, but um, it was definitely, you know, a great, great year to, to – you know, play with Drew and meet new coaches and new players and, and all that kind of stuff for sure. All right. Now, we've mentioned a couple of stops. You have moved around a bit, you know, during the course of your career. When you do make a move, you're moving from one team to the next, what are, I guess, some of the challenges that, you know, our fans may not think of when you do make that kind of move? Yeah, you know, um, well, the continuation, right, is, is probably one where you play with a team for a whole year, you get to know the coaches, the players, the scheme, and that kind of stuff. But uh, and then you go to another team maybe the following year, and maybe the scheme's different, or the coaches want this technique versus the other, you know, and and that kind of stuff. But when you've played and, and you've been around and, and you build relationships, you begin to realize this is a very you know tight circle. You know, all the coaches know know each other, know each other. So. The best thing you can do, regardless of what building you're in or what team you're on, is, is again, I referenced it before, is just be the best you can be and, and try to get better every single day. And, and that kind of stuff, your reputation carries with you, you know. And um, as long as you have, 
I think, a great reputation and you put out good tape. You know, at the end of the day, that's kind of your resume, right? It's your tape. It's what you put on tape. That's who you are. So those are the most important things I think about. I don't really think about the going from team to team just because, you know, that's part of it. You know, and if you get caught up in worrying about that, it can take away from the day-to-day of, of how I can be the best football player. You know, because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing, right, is is being the best football player you can be and, um, and how can you help your team win, you know, whichever team that may be. Mike, you've played for five teams, Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans, Washington, and now Kansas City. Did you get attached to one city more than the other? I, I really didn't, know. You know, I think all the cities brought something unique and, and something different and, and certainly have, you know, memories and, and that kind of stuff with, with each city. But I will say this, you know, especially during the season, especially last year with COVID and, and that kind of stuff too, you're so worried about you're worried about the games and practice and, and that kind of stuff and, and what your job responsibility is. So there isn't a, a, a ton of free time, I'd say, right, like during the season to kind of get attached to one city or the not. Really enjoyed my time in, in all those different cities and, and, and made some good memories and met a lot of good people. You know, that's definitely something I'll carry with me, you know, when I'm done playing. I mean, you mentioned that COVID last year, obviously, we're, we've all dealt with it. We're all dealing with this. A whole new situation from the perspective of an NFL player, knowing that you can't let your team down because you're going to be out for a couple of weeks. How did you isolate yourself? Yeah. I mean, and not only yourself, you know, you sitting out personally, but affecting the position group or people around you or coaches, you know, I always say when you're part of an organization, you're part of something bigger than yourself. So you got to keep in mind that you represent you know, the organization, you don't just represent yourself. So when you're going to do something, you got to be very mindful that you interact with players in tight quarters and coaches in tight quarters and they have families, so you can't affect them. Right. So for me, it was very simple. You know, you just follow the protocols that the team put in place that the league and the NSLPA decided on. And you knew that those were backed by scientific evidence and those were the best measures of the information that we had. So you followed those, you know, you wore a mask when you were supposed to, socially distanced when you were supposed to, you washed your hands, you know, you didn't really go out in crowds, you know, you really laid lows. For me, it was hanging, you know, being at the facility or being at, you know, the place I was living at. And that was really it. Didn't, you know, my family didn't come to any games because you didn't want to bring something where they're traveling and that kind of stuff. So you just really, um, try to just limit yourself by seeing other people as a, and just really spending your time with the guys and stuff inside the facilities because you knew that, you know, there's protocols and stuff in place. Mike, you hear in different circles that, you know, there's a fine line between winning and losing among the NFL teams. What do you think separates the teams that win consistently, at least from your perspective, playing in these different programs versus those who don't? I think it's the teams that are detailed and prepared in critical situations because I would say a lot more games are lost in the league than they are won. And I think that's potentially because there's certain situations, critical situations, two minutes before the half that people don't realize how important that is to get three or seven points. That goes a long way. You know, I don't know what the stat is exactly, but, 
I mean, if you look at NFL games, what they're decided by, I mean, again, I don't know, say seven points or less. Those situations, you know, third down, red zone, two-minute, you know, both offense and defensively, those situations, can you get off the field on third down, right? Can you score in the red zone? Are you getting seven or are you kicking three? All that kind of stuff is just so important, you know, running the football. I just think kind of those critical situations, the teams that are prepared most in those and excel in those situations find more success. I mean, you look at the teams that probably end of the year that go to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs, I would assume that they're probably pretty good on third down. They get off the field on third down, and they score in the red zone. And uh, that would just be my guess. At least that's kind of what I've seen, you know, with teams I've been on in in the uh, film that I've studied. And they limit the turnovers. Yes, and of course, that's obviously, yes, number one. Yeah, limit turnovers. Were there any other offers on the table besides Kansas City? There was certainly interest for sure, but this is a team that I knew I wanted to to come to, you know, pretty early on. And, uh, you know, they had Anthony Sherman had left, you know, and there's a role here where, you know, they've historically carried a fullback, you know, great organization, great head coach, great GM, great quarterback, and uh, just a great roster all around. And, again, have proven that they can win. And, um, you know, just really thankful to be part of this team and excited to help them, you know, win and, and do anything I can to help this football team. So I guess just the position itself now, Mike, and we'll get a little bit more into the Chiefs as, as we move forward, but the, the fullback position, where do you see the, the future of it? It has, I mean, it's changed so dramatically over the years. Where do you see it? Yeah, I think it's turning into a position where guys certainly have to be versatile, right? They have to be able to run block, you know, pass block first and foremost. But they have to be able to run the ball and they have to be able to catch the ball as well, I think, um, and line up in different formations and and line up in, in, in different situations just because it gives the, the offense an ability to kind of maybe dictate the personnel of the defense, right? If you come out and, with a fullback, you know, you're typically thinking that's going to be base personnel defensively. So if you come out but then spread them out and maybe, you can, you, you know, you get the running back on a linebacker or maybe a tight end on a linebacker or something like that, you create mismatches, right? So I think um, – but you can only do that if you have a guy who can, you know, do, do different things, you know, catch the ball, line up out wide. And then, of course, play special teams, you know, um, you know, be a four-phase guy who can – you know, cover kicks, who can block in the return game is so important. So, you know, I think a versatile guy who, like I said, who can do, you know, multiple things, um, you know, just to, to help the offense. Short time in Kansas City. I know you've just had OTAs, but I guess what's your first impressions of just the overall operation and then uh, furthermore, Coach Reed? Uh, it's a, an unbelievable operation. It really is. And it's uh, no secret to why they are successful as they are. They're detailed, work hard. You know, everything that you want in a football team is is, is preached here. And uh, that's, this is what you want to be part of. And the, the talent roster is exceptional. Brett Veach and his guys have done an excellent job just creating so much competition across the roster that just helps you personally get better helps the team get better you know and uh, all the positional coaches are are great and it's just 
football is, is number one here. You know, it, it, it's just so important. And uh, I'm just so excited to be here and be part of this team and, and to help them win in any way that I can. You know, you play now, to, or this will be the, your second year, playing for two of the more, most notorious offensive minds in the NFL. Which yeah. playbook is thicker, Peyton or Reed? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, come, uh, you know, game time and game prep and that kind of stuff, uh, how thick it kind of gets and, and that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, even on the other teams that I played for, when you're kind of installing early no TAs and, and that kind of stuff, you're, you're putting in the base offense, it's, it comes pretty thick. Um, and that's across the board. But uh, what will be interesting is just the how much and, plays-wise is when, you know, you get into game prep and that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's a lot. Great teams can handle that. Why? Because they the roster is made up of, of smart guys who work hard, want to study. When you have that, you can put, you can throw out a lot of formations, a lot of plays, and guys will learn because they want to learn because they want to be great, and I, and I get that same exact sense here. So again, it would not surprise me to see an extensive you know, kind of game plan for games. A little bit of just novice advice I would have to you just as a casual, well, a little bit more than a casual fan is in the red zone, be ready for anything. So yeah. I'll just leave it yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Stafford, Breeze, and I know you've just been on the field a bit with uh, with Patrick Mahomes. Is there a common thread to how these guys lead? Yeah, I mean, great leaders. They have a sense of control whether that be in the meeting room or on the practice field or in the huddle there's just a sense of 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 calmness that we feel as players right guys in the huddle because of how in control they are they know everybody's job from the linemen to the backs to the receivers to the tight ends right that's how detailed they are they're the first one in first you know last guy to leave type of guys right they're extremely detailed extremely hard workers all the greats have that, and then with these three, you know, the talent is there as well. And, and they're smart, they're intelligent. It's, uh, it's really been amazing to watch, you know, just Patrick in the little time I've had, just how um, just really unbelievable he is, you know, as a person, but also as a player as well. And it's no surprise to the success he's had in the league thus far. Again, he practices every day like it's a game, and he's competitive. And, you know, that stuff just carries over to the game. And it's no surprise that he does so well, you know, when he plays on Sundays. You've played with a lot of great leaders in the league. Uh, who was the best leader that you've encountered on your team in the NFL? That's a good question. You know, I definitely would like to, uh, if you ask me this, maybe when I'm done playing, I might have a better answer for you just because, you know, again, just fresh year you know, with the Chiefs, but and there's a lot of great leaders. It's easy for me to tell early on that there's a lot of great leaders right now. But, uh, yeah, I played with a lot of great ones. You know, Drew obviously had the most experience, right? He's been through a lot of different seasons, and uh, he's been around for a long time. He's played at a high level for a long time. He's been very consistent for a long time. Definitely a, uh, a great leader for sure, but it's hard to pick just one because while they – they all have a lot of the, you know, similar qualities. You know, they take those qualities and they kind of put it, you know, their own version of it. And they, and they all do something unique, you know, differently. So it, it, it's great for me because I can kind of pick from them and, and try to add that to, to me and, and help me become a better leader as well. So it's 
it's just really a blessing to be around such such great players and great leaders. We have to ask you this one, Mike. What was your first wow moment with Patrick? First wow moment. Um, it probably was when we were just studying tape, you know, watching cutups and stuff like that. You know, I've obviously seen the highlights and things like that. You know, the, the next day he's made a spectacular throw where he threw for 400 yards, five touchdowns, and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you watch the cutups and study the plays and you're watching play after play after play, you realize, okay, wow, you know, it's, it's more than just these wow throws. I mean, everything's on point. Everything's accurate, right? And then you topple that with how he is in the meeting room, his leadership ability, and who he is as a person, great guy. Everybody wants to be around him. Everybody likes him. And then it's like, okay, wow, you know, when you combine all those things. So it's hard to say one thing. I think it's just a combination of him on the field, but as well as off the field as well. This is my last one for you. What would make this a successful season for you personally, Mike? Super Bowl. That's the reason why we're in this business is to win championships and to win a Super Bowl. I think individual success comes after team success. You know, I think team success is so important. If you look, teams that make the playoffs, teams that go to the Super Bowl, right? Great teams. If you look back at guys, you know, Pro Bowl guys, stuff like that, they're typically from teams that do really, really well, go to the playoffs and win and, you know, win the Super Bowl and stuff. So personally for me, it's, it's hoping this team win a Super Bowl. That's my only goal. And uh, that's what I'm trying to work on every single day. What does the future hold for you outside of football? Have you thought about it? I mean, I, I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking that coaching might be in your future. I was hearing a lot so of Belichick about, in there for sure. I've thought about coaching. I've actually thought about maybe the, the personnel side of things, being the scout. Uh, I really like to watch film and, and evaluate and, and things like that. I think that's a huge part of, um, like, game plan each week, right, and, and being prepared, studying your opponent, watching a lot of tape. I thought about potentially, you know, getting into that side of things as well, as well as coaching because that's a little bit more intimate with the players you're on the field, you know, working with them one-on-one -on -one and stuff like that. So it's something that I haven't, you know, completely decided on yet, but I could see myself in kind of maybe one or two of those avenues for sure. That was our last question, Mike. Um, any plugs you would like to do? Where can we find you on social media? Please tell our listeners. Yeah, Mike Burton FB on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. It's where you can find me. Mike, good luck this season with the Chiefs, and thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All apologies to Bruno Mars, but Julio got in his stretch and took a ride all the way up to Nashville, Tennessee, leaving the hip-hop mecca of Atlanta and going to country music capital. Alex, what do you think about this? It seems like a lot of people believe that the Tennessee Titans are now Super Bowl bound. I'm not saying they're the favorites, but a lot of people are jumping on their bandwagon like Julio Jones just put them over the top. And I started looking at the entire team, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Derrick Henry and whether we believe in, in Ryan Tannehill. And they got him another weapon in Julio Jones. They got A.J. Brown. Ferkser from Harvard. Anthony Ferkser from Harvard. <laughs> All right. right. So the new up-and-comer. They've got a pretty good offensive line, and I'm convinced that the Titans will fix their defense. It might not be great, but it will certainly be better than what it was last year. 
I'm not buying the Super Bowl hype. I'm actually still on the Colts bandwagon just because in this country we love comeback stories and Carson Wentz's story hasn't been written yet. He fell down and he's ready to reemerge with the Colts. But I do think the Titans are going to be an interesting team. I think they're going to be more wide open now because they've got possibly, you know, two of the best wide receivers in the league. We'll see what happens. It's certainly an interesting move. We heard a lot of stories that the Falcons had a first-round pick for Julio. I don't buy that. I mean, if they had a first-round pick, then they probably would have pulled the trigger. I'm surprised that the Titans didn't have to give up a lot. I think that was like kind of negotiating in the media. You know, I don't know that they ever really had a first-round pick. They probably were saying that so they would get at least a second-round pick as far as the, the compensation goes. That's the other thing is, oh my God, they got Julio Jones for this, this, and this. I think at the timing of the thing, there were probably a lot of teams that were willing to give up some of those draft picks. But in June, when everybody's kind of, you know, signing their draft choices, they've gone through free agency, kind of structured their teams. Not a lot of teams that are contending had a ton of cap space. Even Tennessee, I think they had to restructure Tannehill. This isn't like the NBA, well, Harden joining KD and Kyrie, where all of a sudden now they're this super team. I mean, they were going to be pretty good to begin with. Now you add Harden, like, wow, this is this is going to be great. But again, in football, it's a much different dynamic. But I would I started thinking about when uh, OBJ got traded to Cleveland, and there are some similarities. I'm not saying it's going to work out the same way. Julio's a great player, been more consistent than OBJ, but again, now he's much older. He's 32, had some injuries. Okay, not injury prone per se, but you know, going from a big market to a smaller market. You're going to a running team. The team had a number one receiver in place before he got there. To add somebody into that mix who is primarily a, been a number one receiver his whole life probably, he's not going to be anything but. He's sitting there with AJ Brown. You know, what you know, how's how's this gonna work? Not saying it won't. That was kind of my thinking as far as how OBJ went from New York to Cleveland. I mean, do you see any parallels or do you, do you think one has anything to do with the other? I started to think about a different thing. I started to think that maybe the Titans are going to move from a running team to a passing team. I'm not saying they're going to abandon Derrick Henry, but how can you expect him to be a durable back if you continue to feed him 350 times, 400 times a season? I mean, it's impossible. The wear and tear on your body, it's going to take its toll on him. And so by adding Julio Jones here, I think maybe the Titans are saying we're ready to unleash Tannehill a bit in some games because we've got Julio and we've got A.J. Brown. And I just think that he's not just going to be a game manager. They're moving from Arthur Smith's offense. And I just think with this addition, you know, Julio Jones is ready to unleash himself because he had a down year an injury prone year and he wants to prove himself he wants to show to the entire world that he's still a top five receiver in this league I hope it doesn't end like the OBJ story in Cleveland because I mean OBJ switched teams he went from the Giants to Cleveland and just completely disappeared injuries or not I mean we haven't seen the same player and I hope the same story is not written with Julio and and the Titans it would be difficult to get away from, I guess, your your identity as a team, right? I mean, to just flip that switch. Now, obviously, you have to play to your talent, 
But, you know, then what becomes of, of Derrick Henry? Obviously still going to be a huge part of the team. Still going to get his carries, you think. Again, from a target's perspective, is there enough to have two receivers that get targeted that much? Uh, again, I guess I'll, I'll bring it home again to myself, and I air quote home. With the Chiefs, you've got Kelsey and Hill, so that, you know, a ton of targets are going, going those two places. But again, you know, Kelsey plays a little bit different position, not on the outside so much. I'm just trying to really just wrap my head around how they're going to attack. You know, it's a great problem to have, right? <laughs> you got two great wide receivers. You know, how are we going to make this work? But we also have this bell cut running back that has to get the ball 25 times a game, right? Julio Jones is an upgrade over somebody like Corey Davis. Oh, absolutely. And I just no think they're going to open it up a little bit more. You can't keep feeding the your bell cow because it just doesn't work. I mean, we've seen even the greatest bell cows in the world, you know, run out of gas. Derrick Henry is a different animal. You need to lighten his load a little bit and let Tannehill open it up a little bit, especially if he has such talented wide receivers like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. But let me ask you this. When we look at the scope of wide receiver duos in the NFL right now, do the Titans have the most dangerous duo in the NFL, or do you think somebody tops them now? You got to believe they're certainly the most talented, right? But again, it's going to come down to production, what they do on the field. And again, I keep going back to Derrick Henry. I mean, this actually can help him, right? I mean, the lighter boxes he'll be facing, one hand's going to wash the other. They're going to do basically what the defense dictates, I would think. But as far as duos, yeah, I throw out Hill and Kelsey. Kelsey is, you know, listed as a tight end, but you know, you got to put him up there. I mean, he almost led the the entire league in receiving yards last year at the tight end position. Didn't play the last game. You know, I mean, he's like 1,400 yards. I mean, Hill's up there too. So I would say those two have got to be in the conversation. Lockett and Metcalf, they've got to be up there. Lockett and Metcalf really come to mind. That I'm focusing on the wide receivers. I'm trying to take away the tight ends from this conversation. Right. Well, that's the tough part with Kansas City because he's kind of more of a hybrid. You mean really? They don't really have a number two wide receiver, and we talked a lot about that, you know, during free agency. And this would have been we're looking at the teams that Julio was going to go to, and you bring up the Chiefs. No, that was never going to fit because he's just not going to see the ball. Another team that so, comes to mind is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin from the Bucks. I mean, well, they have sure, to yeah. be up there, and they might top this entire list just because they're still young they just won a super bowl with tom brady and they might win another one so i think they're at the top of that list and then metcalf and lockett and then julio jones and aj brown because we forget how good aj brown is i mean for a second round pick the guy took the league by storm he looks like the new anquan bolden because they play similar they really have a similar game well, when you said A.J. Brown, he looks amazingly like his college teammate in, in D.K. Metcalf. Maybe not quite as big because D.K. is such, so chiseled and whatever, but A.J.'s not far behind him. And he's probably not that far behind him in speed either. So, you know, I'm just, I guess, looking down the list here. Nah, I wouldn't, you know, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. Cooper's probably kind of iffy well, there. Cooper is not a top um, 10 receiver just, yeah, I in guess. this league, so... No, no, that's I'm just going to look looking down the list here if there was any others that we could we could throw in there. Well, how about OBJ and Jarvis Landry? I mean they they rarely play together because of injuries, but you know, those two still have that's to be a good in the one. mix, right? That's a good one. I mean, obviously it's 
Landry and OBJ have put up huge numbers. I hope Odell stays healthy this year. So if he does, they will be in that, that top five conversation. I agree with that. So and there's others, but there, a lot of them are kind of question marks and could be that. There's a lot of potential for some of these duos. And it also, you know, we'll see what, what the rookies do this year because, you know, Jefferson and Thielen. I mean, at one point, Thielen was thought to be a top 10 receiver. Jefferson comes along and, you know, takes the lead by storm a little bit as far as a rookie goes. You know, that duo could be in the conversation, but I don't think we put them there right now. The Steelers have a bunch of receivers, but are there any two together that would be in that list? I don't I don't think so there either. Julio and AJ right now, I mean, again, on paper, look like they could be right near the top of that list. I guess I wanted to get back to this and those other teams that may have had an interest in Julio. I know we talked about Indianapolis, San Francisco, New England, Baltimore. I think he goes into those situations and he's automatically the number one receiver, hands down, no questions asked. But again, I think those teams were probably not in a good position salary cap wise. Do you think the Titans are the favorites right now in the AFC South? I would say that's more of a uh, Wentz question. If Wentz can play near to his potential, I think the Colts are a much better team. No question. Even if he doesn't, even if he's so-so, that's going to be a tough division for Tennessee to win. I just think the Colts, you know, 1-53 to are just a much stronger team. And if Wentz, again, I mean, you don't want to say game manager, but uh, because that's a dirty word, but as long as he doesn't screw it up, I think the Colts are the class of, the, class of this division. I agree with that statement. I think the Colts' defense altogether is better, or they've played better. That cover two defense has really succeeded. But the Colts don't have A.J. Brown. They don't have Julio Jones. T.Y. Right. Hilton That's the, is declining yeah. right now. I mean, you hope Michael Pittman can take that step up in his second year. You're hoping he can become maybe like a Vincent Jackson type of player. I know that the Colts are going to ride Jonathan Taylor. Like the Titans have been on Derrick Henry. They've been riding him for a little while. So obviously they've got a formula in place. They play good defense and they want to run the football with Taylor. And so in that regard, they're similar, but they don't have those weapons on the on the outside because T.Y. Hilton hasn't been the same player for like the last two or three years. No, and I don't know that he's ever going to get back to that. I mean, he may play a little bit better, more consistent, not get injured. But once you start getting injured and you're getting older, especially at those, again, air quotes, skill positions, it's tough to, you know, really to rebound or kind of recapture what you used to be. But yeah, I like Michael Pittman a a lot. Paris Campbell just seems like ever since he came out of Ohio State, has he played more than like five games in a season? Is he still on the radar? Do you you still have hopes for him? I think he's been a huge disappointment. I mean, the the sky was the limit for this guy when they they picked him on day two. He has... He's certainly not lived up to it. And the Titans are more of a safe bet based on the pieces that they have, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And the thinking is, again, that they will get better on defense. The Colts are kind of that wild card. You know, those people like you and I, they're just like all about comeback stories that think, okay, Carson Wentz has done it before with the Eagles and he can rediscover himself again in a new place with his former coach. 
I guess that that remains to be seen. The big question mark. Uh, haven't heard much. I mean, obviously we're in OTA season. Guys throwing the ball around in shorts and so forth. But uh, we haven't heard any negative news as we are, you know, in the whole Green Bay situation. But yeah, you know, I'm very optimistic about Wentz kind of being in a good mental place, and I think that's going to lead him to being better physically on the field. You know, I guess away from that uh, Philly media, that'll help him too. But the offensive line, the consistency of the defense. The running game. I mean, all those things are going to help him. Things that he really didn't have in, in Philadelphia over the last two seasons. And again, I don't want, want to say everything, but there's a lot of positives pointing to him being better than being worse or what he was in Philly last year. So, Alex, we were talking a little bit before the show here, and you mentioned that, you know, you're did a little bit of a YouTube wormhole and were getting thrown some suggestions of old shows or maybe shows you used to watch back in the day. What came up? As you get older, you start to reminisce, you know, what shows you used to watch as a kid. And as a kid, I mean, like middle school, high school, as a teenager, what really stood out to you when you had some free time, when you didn't have a job, when you had some downtime, you had some free time, because certainly don't have any downtime right now. You know, there are a couple of shows that really stuck out to me, and you'll be surprised. I I was a big fan of Fox, and at that time, in my teenager years, and this was 20 years ago, I was a big fan of Beverly Hills 90210. An ex-girlfriend got me into that show, and I hated it in the beginning that we were, like, spending Wednesday nights or something like that, or Tuesday nights, watching that show. And then when we broke up, I continued to watch the show. So this is my, my girly side a little bit, my feminine side. I was, I was a big fan of that relationship drama. And then in my middle school days, I was a big fan of Saved by the Bell. Zach and, and um, the whole gang with Screech. Yeah, my comedic sense. I mean, I was going to school at that time, and it just it made sense. I was also a big fan of Married with Children. Now you're speaking my language. It was a little okay. bit different. <laughs> That's, I mean, along with The Simpsons, that kind of made Fox. You know, I mean, really, at, at first, they had, like, you know, hardly any. It was like Cops was on, <laughs> like, 24 hours a day. Married with Children, The Simpsons. Al Bundy yep. was just, was God at that time. It was it was unlike any other show <laughs> on TV because they pushed the buttons. A lot of the other shows, they were so politically correct. I mean, but this show really stuck out. It, it was just on an island on its own. And I think that's what drew a lot of people to the show, watching it, like, on Sundays for the new episode. And they went on for, like, what, 12 13 years i mean al bundy's run was was really long in that regard another show this is pre reality tv this is before reality tv became big and i would say this show made reality tv i was a big fan of the real world on mtv yeah i got Uh i got to it like I don't know, it was like 96 or 97, and I continued to watch it for about four or five seasons. I watched the reruns. This was when MTV was trying to rediscover itself, you know, trying to get out of the just the music groove, and they introduced the real world, and it was interesting at that time. This was before, you know, all those other reality shows that we know today, right? This is back in the 90s when reality TV was, was new. It was hip. 
They put the people, the strangers in the house for about four or five months. They taped it. They edited the show. And the storylines were really good. So I was a big fan of the real world, like back in the high school days, like junior year, senior year. I was a big fan. I remember one guy. I mean, I think I watched that show one season. And uh, the one kid, I think his name was Eric, Eric Nice. And the only reason I really watched was his dad was an NBA official. So occasionally, you know, they'd have him talking to his dad or whatever. So there always has to be some kind of sports connection for me or I just yeah, I, I just lose it at that point but you know I mean for me you know Seinfeld was I mean the comedy Seinfeld cheers we talked about that before we started recording but uh yeah I mean th- th- those were always always the big ones for me Seinfeld and cheers you know later on there was one show that really caught my attention most of what I've watched or been like police shows FBI whatever but there was one show Jennifer Garner, I still say it's one of the best shows on TV ever. Was Alias? I, I agree with that. I mean, that was that was him. She gets rec- right. She gets rec- she gets recruited out of college to go to the CIA. It turns out her dad's in the you know dad's in, in some like black ops uh, you know portion of the government. I mean, it's just crazy. Bradley Cooper was in it. Uh, Michael Vartan. I mean, there's there's some pretty big stars in there. Her dad was thought was funny because he played. Um, he was the captain in the movie Titanic with uh, Leo DiCaprio and um, what was the girl's name? I can't remember her Kate name right Winslet. now. Big Kate star. Winslet. But anyway, Kate Winslet. There you go. But anyway, the captain of the ship was uh, you know, Mr. Bristow. Yeah, I know on, who on that Italy, is. So. I don't know the yeah. actor's name, but I, I can see his, his face. Yeah, I, I can't can think of his, his name either. But anyway, yeah, that was yeah. a hip show. I mean, that I wasn't like a big fan of the show, but I did tune in at times because it was before this whole spy shows that came out, right? It, it became really hip like later on. But Elias was kind of fresh at that time. Plus, never missed it. You know, it was appointment television in my house. And I just rewatched rewatched it on streaming service. I don't know if it was I don't know, one of the streaming services, and just rewatched it. And it's like you think you remember, you know, some of these shows that you watched way back then. Then you watch them again, and I was like, well, I don't remember that. I, don't, I mean, you remember like the basic themes and so forth, and maybe what happened with certain characters. But to me, it was just amazing how much I didn't remember from Alias, and how much I guess better it was watching it a second time. It was actually actually a pretty cool experiment go ahead give that a try you should go ahead and rewatch 90210 start the beginning and on our non-football topics you know when we do the show you can give us kind of a, an update. I think I would really enjoy it, to be honest with you. Even now, looking back in the day, I mean, the Kelly, the Dylan, the Brandon drama. And maybe I wouldn't relate quite as much as I used to back in my high school, college days. But it would still be fun, I mean, to, to see those those young up-and-coming actors and, you know, all those things that were happening on it. So I really enjoyed it. And Elias, I mean, Jennifer Gardner made a career out of it. I mean, everybody remembers her for some reason as Ben Affleck's ex-wife, but that was the show that put her on the map. Well, and the fact that she was pretty hot and they put her in all sorts of uh, pretty flattering, let's say. Is, is flattering a good adjective? Uh, flattering outfits, hairstyles, and she used to kick the shit out of anybody, you know, any spies anywhere on the face of the, the planet. So, yeah, that was good. That's our, our little trip down memory lane for this week, gang. That's going to do it for us. For Alex, I'm Lou. Till next week. Peace.